0: Let begin this morning by reading a passage of scripture that defines the gospel for us. you know we use that word gospel a lot. It refers uh, to the first four books of the Bible, the first uh, four books of the New Testament, Genesis I mean Matthew Mark, Luke, and John went all the way back to the beginning to start with there didn't I? Those are four eyewitness accounts of the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and so We refer to those as the Gospels because they are the stories of the life of Jesus. But the Gospel uh, is the thing that saves us. It is the fact that God left heaven, came to this earth, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died for our sins, was buried and rose again on the third day. So we're going to read about that. The Apostle Paul Uh, writing in this ancient letter to the church at Corinth in Greece says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 verse 1. Moreover, brethren, brothers and sisters, all you Christians out there, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Verse 2, by which you are saved. This is where salvation lies. This is where eternal life lies Is in what God did for us by which you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What he's talking about here is that some of them uh, were denying the resurrection. He said, you got to accept it all. Jesus not only died for our sins, he rose again on the third day for our sins and believing anything else is useless. Verse 3, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins. Not just because somebody killed him, but Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And verse four says that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. But here is another great thing. Verse five says, and he was seen. That is, people witnessed the fact that he was alive after his resurrection. He was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the 12. Actually, there were only 11 of the 12 at that time, but uh, they're referred to as a group as the 12. Verse 6, after that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once at one time, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. Now, they're all dead. Now, they've all fallen asleep, but when Paul wrote this, a lot of these 500 guys that saw the resurrected Christ at the same time were still alive. Verse seven says, after that, he was seen by James. That's his half-brother, then by all the apostles. And then verse eight, Paul gives this personal testimony. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as one born out of due time. I wanted to start with the gospel this morning, the fact of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, because we do celebrate the resurrection, particularly on this Sunday. Around here for, oh, more than a year, we've talked a lot about evidence, evidence. Our faith is based on evidence. There is a leap of faith, but there's a reason that we believe what we believe. And today I want to talk to you about one of the reasons you should strongly consider putting your trust in Jesus Christ if you haven't already done that. Now, I I know that we Christians do a lot of crazy stuff. You know, Churches kinda do a lot of crazy things, and I know that everybody's had some kind of a bad church experience along the way, but what I'm talking about here, the reason that you need to consider trusting in Jesus Christ has nothing to do with church experiences, had nothing to do with Christians in general, uh, we're, today we're going to talk about history's mystery. Uh, this, the, the mystery is what we celebrate. The mystery of why we celebrate it is what we're going to talk about this morning. The foundation of the Christian faith is not Christians. The foundation of the Christian faith is not churches. The foundation of the Christian faith isn't even the Bible. The foundation of the Christian faith is Jesus Christ, the person. That's what the mystery is all about. So uh, we're talking about the mystery of why we celebrate Easter. How did Christianity get here? Why does about one-third of the world's population claim to be Christian? Why are all these churches all over the place, you know, up and down the streets uh, when you're in this area? There are millions of people all over the world this weekend, of course time is different in different places, who are celebrating a Jewish carpenter who lived on this planet for less than 35 years, maybe less than 33 years, went public for only about three of those years, a maximum about three of those years, never traveled more than about 100 miles from home. Well, actually when he was a baby, his his parents took him to Egypt for a while. But as he was growing up, once he got settled in his hometown of Nazareth, he never traveled more than 60 or 80 miles uh, from home. He never wrote a book, He never led an army into battle and yet a third of the world today worship him as God of heaven. A third of the world gathering together, uh, singing songs similar to what we sang in languages that we don't understand. Some some languages we've never even heard of. They've dedicated their lives to this Jesus Christ and there's no plausible explanation for why this all happens except for why we celebrate Easter on this particular morning. It's history's great mystery. Think about it like this. You've heard of a guy by the name of Nero, haven't you? Nero was a Roman emperor. But he's really uh, remembered not for what he did as, as as an emperor, but by the fact that he persecuted Christians. You've heard of a guy by the name of Caesar Augustus. He was the very first. Roman emperor. He was the grand nephew and the adopted son of a guy by the name of Julius Caesar. Caesar Augustus developed the Roman empire or took over where his uncle left off. Yet outside of history books, he's best known as a footnote to the birth of this Jewish carpenter, isn't he? You remember this verse, and it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. And yet this guy uh, founded the Roman empire and ruled it for 40 years. Roman and Jewish authorities ganged up to kill Jesus and to stomp out this crazy thing called the way. And now there's no more Roman empire and there's more Christians than there are any of those uh, other kinds. It's history's great mystery. The answer to these questions of how did this happen? How is it that Christianity survived the first century? How is it that this small group of people that was so discouraged became what we are today? How is it that that this happened is the reason that we need to put our faith in Jesus Christ? So just for a few minutes this morning, I want us to consider the simplest explanation for how or why this happened. We're gonna start with this thought. All movements have Things in common. People study stuff like that. It's not a mystery how religions and causes and movements begin. The first principle we're going to look at two. The first of these principles is this New religions or movements usually always have a charismatic leader with a new or seemingly new message that appeals to something. Going on in culture, often when something new starts, it's because some kind of social or political unrest that causes division in a nation or a group of people, and then some charismatic leader comes along. Now, I'm using that charismatic in uh, in a sense that it means a person with compelling charm that inspires devotion uh, in others. But this guy comes along and he starts saying things, and people start saying, "Hey, yeah." That's what I mean right there. He just says it so well. That's what I believe. And he says it in such a way or she says it in such a way that people begin to follow them. But eventually, you know, they always re- receive opposition, but eventually there's enough of a movement among the populace that uh, the status quo is overthrown and this new thing starts. That's the way most movements start. Let me give you a couple of examples. That, such was the case of a prophet in the seventh century by the name of Muhammad. Before the prophet rose to prominence, the Arab tribes were mostly nomadic. They were polytheistic and they worshiped idols. But this guy born in Mecca about 570 AD, orphaned at an early age, claimed that he was visited by the angel Gabriel and that he was the last and greatest prophet to proclaim complete surrender to one God. That's called Islam. By the time he died in 632 AD, most of the Arabian Peninsula were followers of this new thought, the charismatic leader. Some of us who are here remember the 1950s and the 1960s in our own nation and the tumult that raged over race relations during that period of time. Our nation was divided over the rights of African-American citizens During that tumultuous era, there was a guy by the name of Dr. Martin Luther King, Jr., called Doctor because he received a Ph.D. degree in systematic theology from Boston University in 1955. He was a Baptist pastor and an educator when he rose to prominence. He was an extraordinary communicator and leader, and he was able to say things with such passion in such a way that he moved people to action. He marshaled the forces of civil rights in our country and it led to a lot of legislation. On October the 14th, 1964, Dr. King received the Nobel Peace Prize for combating racial inequality through nonviolent resistance. So that's the first thing. First thing is this, this charismatic leader that usually is involved. Second thing is what we're gonna look at a little bit more when they die, when this charismatic leader dies, and everybody does die, their followers pick up the burden of leadership and keep their teachings alive. In 632 AD, about 600 years after Jesus, the prophet Muhammad died of natural causes, but his followers decided to keep it going. Now, there was a little division of it. That's why we have Shiites and Sunni Muslims in the world today, but by the... but. Anyway, they went on to conquer the Arabian Peninsula, the Holy Land, Spain, North Africa, and a lot of other territory. The spread of Islam is an interesting story, but it fits, it fits the, uh, the process that people have studied about this is the way movements and this is the way new religions start. On April the 4th, 1968, Dr. Martin Luther King was assassinated by James Earl Ray in Memphis, Tennessee. King had led the Civil Rights Movement, since the mid-1950s using this combination of impassioned speeches and nonviolent protests. But his death didn't end the movement because his family and others took up the leadership. Uh, He's remained um, the most widely known African-American leader of his era and and of our lifetime. Uh, He's the most public face of the Civil Rights Movement, most eloquent voice. But when he died, the movement did not die Uh, There was triumph in the tragedy, but it all makes sense, the movement, the charismatic leader, the death of that leader. Now, one would assume, I took time talking about that, one would assume that that's what happened in Jesus' case. As a matter of fact, as I've read things uh, through the week getting ready for today, it's amazing how many people think that's what happened to Jesus. He was a charismatic leader. He came along. He died, and his followers decided to keep it going after his death, but the problem with that is close investigation shows us that that simply was not the case with Jesus. It didn't happen that way. Let me talk to you about that. No reputable historian who looks closely at the facts of Jesus' life would take the common transition that happened other ways to have happened in the case of Christianity. That's why this is the mystery of history. History. The problem is with Jesus himself and with his message. Let's look at the message of Jesus. The first problem was that Jesus' message didn't advocate liberation or revolution. When it came to government, you know what Jesus said? Obey and pay. (laughs) Obey the laws and pay your taxes. Government like that. When you say things like that, Mark 12:17, Jesus answered and said to them, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's and they marveled. And when he talked about his own kingdom, he said, this is a kingdom that is not what? Not of? this world. He said, my kingdom is not of this world. At his trial, Pontius Pilate said, I find no fault in this man. He has done nothing that is against the government. Concerning Moses's law, Jesus said, obey it and I fulfill it. Jesus was no revolutionary. But the real problem with Jesus's message is the second thing right here. The second problem with Jesus's message was that it centered on Jesus. Martin Luther King's message did not center on Martin Luther King. It centered on the rights uh, of people. But the message of Jesus was all about Jesus. Jesus never asked his followers to trust in his ideas. He asked them to trust in what? Trust in him, not his ideas. When Jesus first walked onto the public stage to be baptized by John the Baptist, John 1.29 says this, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he immediately exalted this man. The problem with Jesus' message as far as it fitting into the normal sequence of things was that it was all about Jesus One day, Jesus and his followers were near a city that was named after Caesar Augustus, and this is what happened. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, "'Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am?' So they said this in verse 14. Some say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah. Others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets." Verse 15, he said, but who do you say that I am? Verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Now, I don't think Peter fully understood what he said when he said that, but he said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Verse 17, Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, Bar Jonah, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven he not only said, you're right. He said, God is the one who told you about that. The problem with Jesus' message and why it doesn't fit with everything else is that it's all about Jesus. When Jesus' good friend Lazarus died, uh, Jesus had this to say to Lazarus' sister Martha, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. A little bit later, he was talking to Thomas, you know, one of his followers, that guy that we call Doubting Thomas. John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the way. A couple of verses later, he's talking to Philip, another one of the 12. Jesus said to him in John 14, 9, have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, show us the Father? He said to Philip, you see me, you see God. That's a lot for anybody to say. Jesus did not come to leave his followers, us, with a collection of insights and parables and teachings to pass on to the next generation. He went too far for that to be the case. He claimed too much for that to be the case. He made too much of himself for that to be a case. And he allowed other people to make too much of him. The simplest explanation is that he didn't fit that. The third thing I want to mention to you this morning is, so when his disciples watched him die, because it was all about him. When his disciples watched him die, they watched the movement die with him. The Jesus movement wasn't about principles and parables. It was about a man who was God and his name is Jesus. That was so true. That even before Jesus was crucified, his closest followers began to abandon ship. They began to uh, leave him. At Jesus' arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane, his followers ran like scared rabbits. Peter, who said, you are the Christ and I will never give up on you. That same evening said he didn't even know who Jesus was. Mark's Gospel, chapter 14, verse 70. But he, Peter, denied it again a little later, those who stood by said to Peter again, surely you are one of them for you are a Galilean and your speech shows it, verse 71. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. I've never even met this guy you call Jesus. What a coward he was, running away. Why? Because his faith was in Jesus and Jesus was about to die. The same people who wrote the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, admit that they were cowards. If they had been making up this story, they would have written themselves in as heroes. But when Jesus was arrested, they lost their faith and ran. Christians didn't crowd around around the cross in sympathy with Jesus. They didn't crowd around the cross waiting for him to explode off the cross, rip his shirt off with a big S underneath, you know, and zap everybody around. They were running and hiding because they thought he's dead and he's going to stay dead. There is no indication of faith. Yes, Mary, his mother, was there. And yes, there were two or three other women there. And yes, the apostle John was there for a while, but no indication of faith, no indication of hope. After Jesus was buried, the Christians didn't come crowd around. Uh, the burial place, waiting for the explosion, you know, the bright light to shine and, and, and the, the resurrection to take place because they didn't think it was going to happen. Messiahs don't die. The Son of God can't be killed. You can't crucify the resurrection and the life. The mystery of history is how do you go from that scenario when everybody quit, when everybody said it's over, When everybody said my faith was in him and he died and he let me down. How do you go from there to these same people standing in the streets of Jerusalem proclaiming the resurrected Christ and the gospel of Jesus? How do you go from that to 300 years later when the Roman emperor becomes a Christian? How do you go from that to the fact that today on this very day, one-third of the world gathers together to proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ? How is it possible that this crazy movement that died when he died survived the first century and into the 21st century? The answer is this. Easter solves history's great mystery. The resurrection is the only answer. If Jesus hadn't resurrected, there would be no Christianity uh, no Christian, Roman Empire, or anything of that nature. And here's how the, the story unfolded. Early on Sunday morning, following the Passover, and by the way, if you were here uh, Friday night, uh, we talked about the fact that two guys buried Jesus, two men buried Jesus. One of them was known as Jer- Joseph of Arimathea, and it, it was his tomb in which Jesus was buried. And then there was a guy by the name of Nicodemus, who brought the spices, 100 pounds of spices to wrap Jesus in. So these two men wrapped Jesus up and put him in the tomb and, and, and rolled the stone in front. There were also women there, two women, uh, Mary Magdalene and another Mary, who went to the tomb and stayed for a while after the men left. I don't want to make light of the situation, but... Uh, these women probably didn't think the guys could possibly get anything right, so they were going to come back Sunday morning and redo it and get it done the right way. Right? That, was, that was their plan. So, verse, uh, John chapter 20, verse 1, now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early. Uh, I, I stated to you Friday night that there were other women that were there. There was a group of women that went but John concentrates on this particular woman. On the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark, before sunrise, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. She got there, and and all she she could see was the empty tomb, and she ran. Now, the other ladies stayed there, by the way. We find in other gospels that the, the angels appeared to them and told them what had happened. But Mary Magdalene was so distraught that she ran all the way back to where the guys were. Verse 2, Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple uh, whom Jesus loved. Now, this is John's gospel, and this is the way John refers to himself. He doesn't call himself by name. He calls himself the other guy that Jesus loved. That's a pretty good way to, to mention yourself. I'm the other guy that Jesus loved. But she came back and she said to Peter and John, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. And nobody thought maybe he rose from the dead. Mary didn't think that. Peter didn't think that. John didn't think that. One of these guys that accompanied Jesus for three years didn't say, hey, I I bet I know what happened. I bet he rose because that's what the Bible says is gonna happen. No, nobody even thought about that. So Peter and John went running to see what had happened. Meanwhile, they must have crossed past. The other women are coming back to talk to the other guys and uh, tell them what happened. So they came back and they said, look, the grave is empty, and, and we met these guys at the grave, and they said, Jesus resurrected. Luke 24, verse 11, tells us how the other men responded. And their words, the words of the women, seemed like idle tales, and they still did not believe. All this going on and they did, because they thought he's dead, he's going to stay dead. Nobody heard of resurrection. By the way, women had little power and little status in the first century. Men wrote the New Testament and if they could have left out the part about the women getting there first and the women believing first and Jesus appearing to women first, they would have left it out. But guess why they put it in? Because that's the way it happened. Because it really happened. No one was celebrating. Because the people who brought us the story of the resurrection, the people who wrote the gospels, sheepishly but honestly admit that they thought when he died he would stay dead. And they were cowards. They had run away. John continues the story. John chapter 20 verse 3. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple We're going to the tomb. So these two guys are headed for the tomb. Verse 4, so they both ran together, and the other disciple outran Peter and came to the tomb first. Well, John does get that little jab in there, right? John was the fastest runner uh, of the group. At least he was faster than Peter was. Of course, John was also the youngest guy in the group, so Peter might have had a bad knee or something of that nature. But they both came, and John outran Peter. And verse 5 says, and he, that is John, stooping down looking in, saw the linen cloths lying there, Yet he did not go in. He's confused. He looks in, trying to compute. what What's going on here? What's going on here? There's these clo- flat clothes laying there, right where Jesus was put. Verse 6, then Simon Peter came, following him, and went into the tomb. Peter always rushes in. And he saw the linen cloth- cloths lying there. Verse 7, and the handkerchief or the face cloth that had been around his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded together, in a place by himself, by itself. Verse 8. Then the other disciple, that's John, who came to the tomb first, went in also and he saw and believed. The first mention, I don't know if he's the first one to believe, the first mention of anybody considering the possibility that Jesus rose from the dead and he saw. And believe because verse 9 says, For as yet they did not know the scripture, it was there, they just didn't comprehend what it was all about. They did not know the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. So, what did they do then? Have a party? No, verse 10 says, Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. Everybody just went home, everybody just went back to where they were, they didn't know what to do. There's All right, possibility of the resurrection. Not sure what's going on. They just all went back home. Let me tell you a couple things about Jesus' followers. The first one is this. Jesus' followers didn't re-engage. They didn't get recharged, get back into it, because of something Jesus taught. They didn't didn't re-engage because of a miracle that he had done. They didn't re-engage because they looked back and they thought, this is a really good guy. He had some good stuff to say. That's not why they re-engaged. Number two. Jesus' followers re-engaged because of someone they saw. And they saw Jesus. And that's the only explanation for why we're here today. They saw Jesus. So let me move on to the next thing. Here's how we know that. The message of the early church was the resurrection. These men, these cowards who didn't expect a resurrection, these men who ran for their lives and hid, came out of hiding and began to preach. They didn't preach the teachings of Jesus or the parables of Jesus to start with, they preached the resurrection of Jesus. That a four-point message, and here's what they preached. Number one, you killed him. This is, they're preaching to the Jews to start with. You killed him. Point number two, God raised him from the dead. Point number three, we have seen him, so we're testifying of it. Point number four is repent. Get your life right. Believe in him. Part of Peter's message on Pentecost, Acts chapter 2 and verse 22. Peter's preaching. Jesus back in heaven. The Holy Spirit's come on the church. Verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to, by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did through him in your midst. As you yourself know, you remember Jesus. You remember what he did and you rejected him. Verse 23, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was all part of God's plan. You, you killed him. You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified, and put to death. Verse 24, God raised him up. Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it is not possible that he should be held by it. And then Peter referred to some Old Testament scripture and how they had seen the resurrection, and then he said this in Acts 2.36. Therefore... Let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? How shall we respond to this? Verse 38. Then Peter said to them, first thing you do is repent. Remember what repentance is. Repentance is having that change of mind, which is a change of heart, a change of direction, a change of action. Repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for or on account of the remission of sins. First you repent, you get forgiven of your sins, then you get baptized because your sins are forgiven. And then you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The resurrection solves history's mystery. We did not get here in the same way other movements got to where they are. History, the resurrection solves history's mystery. I'll tell you something else the resurrection solves. It solves the mystery about my sin and about your sin. The resurrection of Jesus Christ assures the fact that your sins have been forgiven you. We can believe that Jesus rose from the dead because we have the word of eyewitnesses, And because there's no better explanation for the change in the disciples' actions and attitude, Jesus actually rose from the dead, just like he said, just as is recorded in these ancient documents called the Gospels. So, if you are a Christian, if you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, if you are a follower of Jesus, you can live your life with confidence. Your prayers matter. God is there to hear what you pray. Your faithfulness matters. You may think I go do, I do this over and over and over again. I wonder I'm wondering if it's doing any good. It matters. Kind of like raising your children. You know, everybody that's ever raised a child has gotten to a point where it's, I don't think this is doing any good. You know, this kid's a, a wreck. Well, it is doing some good too. You just keep doing the right thing. Faithfulness matters, and your generosity matters. You give, and you give, and you give, and you give, and you wonder, is my giving doing any good? Yes, eternal good, and it's all because of the resurrection. So if you are a Christian, you can live with confidence. If you are not a Christian, if you have never put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, All I can say to you today is you should. You should. Nobody else offers the gift of eternal life. I don't care what some Christian has done. I don't care what some Christian said. I don't care how some church acted or how some preacher or pastor or priest or anybody else acted. I don't care about that. Our faith is not based on those things. Our faith is based on Jesus Christ and him alone and the fact that he rose from the dead. The apostle Paul said, for whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved, will have the gift of eternal life. And Jesus said, or at least John recorded while Jesus was talking to Nicodemus there in John chapter 3, for God so loved the world. God loved the world so much that he gave, that's what love does, that he gave his one and only, one of a kind Son." That whoever believes in him, whoever places their faith and trust in him shall not perish but have everlasting or eternal life. Shall not die and go to hell but shall have eternal life. The resurrection. That's why we have church 52 Sundays out of the year, by the way. It's because we celebrate the resurrection every Sunday morning. But this day, this day is pretty special Because we're not exactly sure what time of the year Jesus was born, but we're sure what time he rose from the dead because it's connected with Passover. And we know that we're right about the right time right now when he rose from the dead. I encourage you, if you're a Christian, don't lose hope. Don't give up. Don't think, well, all this, I'm all this I'm doing isn't helping any. Yes, it is. You're honoring God, if nothing else. If you're not. I encourage you, trust in him. If he is dealing in your heart, don't keep pushing him away, but trust in him. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you that you so clearly have left us evidence that Jesus rose from the dead and that he now is with you. We honor you as the only God and Savior and ask you to give us the grace to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Please stand.